Hello everyone. This is the Value Line Observer brought to you by the Value Guys. I'm Vern Value. And I'm Val Hughes. Get it. And we're uh, 20 year Wall Street veterans. I'm 25 uh, years. I have to go through this every week. I'm 25 are you sure? years. Can you document 25? It's actually 20. We're, I don't want to give everything away, but it's 27. Wall Street analysts slash portfolio managers who have uh, disguised our voices and taken on secret identities so that we can come to you every week. And talk about uh, well, talk stock, share uh, candid what, views. What we like to do every Friday, we get together and we uh, have a cocktail we drink, or two. Obviously, excuse me a moment. Yeah, we have been drinking a little more heavily this week. I um, have to well, say, you know, all uh, for the show, right? Yeah, it's for the show. It's for the uh, show. This week we're going to and and so we uh, we need some stocks to talk about. So oh, well. every week we talk about that week's value line investment survey. This week, the week of. Uh, the issue dated March second, two thousand. We've been subscribers of Value Line for twenty five years. It's a great tool. Uh, we've been reading it. For we've been talking years, about it. The, yeah, and uh, we're just you're just getting in on it now. Uh, and so, I, obviously, for entertainment purposes only. Entertainment. Although you, I hopefully you get some benefit out of hearing a couple. Well, of this is the types, same advice uh, we give our institutional clients using during the, the week. Same brain same, power, but uh, uh, and you know we've been drinking to, so. Uh, what else can I try tell to pick you? out anyway. some good stocks? And we usually find some. A couple. Um, if you want to uh, learn more about us, please visit our website at uh, thevalueguys.com. www, of course. Uh, you'll find uh, we more have a, I wanna, there about mention? owning our stock. Go ahead. I just want to say we have a survey there. It would be so helpful if you're enjoying the show uh, or will later enjoy the show in case you haven't enjoyed it up until this point. But if you find yourself enjoying it later, Perhaps you could visit our site and fill out a survey. Okay, I'm done now. This uh, week, uh, Value Line has a lot of, uh, well, in a way, higher tech businesses, right? Precision yeah. instruments and medical supplies. Yeah. And it I'm is. going to talk about a company in that space, but I'm also going to talk about some in another space, uh, like Zimmer, which uh, I think is I very think interesting. I think I've done that now. before. Oh, have you? Yeah. Well, I covered be, that at a large professional we'll, uh, firm where actually I was on TV about it, actually. I, I think I've got an interesting long, short pair for you as well, but first I'm going to turn it over to Val. What are you going to talk okay, about? Okay, thank you, everybody. This week we have My Precision Instruments. colleague, Oh, Val. thank you. Thank you very much. Medical supplies, which, you know, Stand demographics is terrific for medical. We've got a couple things there to talk we about. We talk about that a little bit. And then you've got... Uh, what else here? Home appliances. Well, there's like 50 stocks here under medical. Look supplies. at the home appliance industry. You know, back in the 40s, that was the precision instrument uh, category, probably. But now there's a and lot. And one of, of other these companies, I think Turbo Chef has a market cap of like literally like 100 million. Are those the guys that sold the ovens to uh, a Subway? I think they are. Oh, it might be. They've yeah. got some. It's a, but you know, that's a pipeline fill and doesn't come back. You know, well, that's their. Well, they problem. have some. No, they have some special technology on. Cooking uh, uh, very things fast. fast, right? But I think well, Subway had to put toasting all, into the line <laughs> to compete with Potbelly. I think all the companies that had the customer relationships and the distribution, they were able to come up with something that's almost just as fast. I don't know. But I just sure. see a lot I of don't, Subway don't workers with scalded it, but, uh, hands. Anyway, that's the all. The point I mean. is, there's like nothing there, right? Black and Decker doesn't even have a home appliance business anymore. They sold it. They, they did exited. sell it. I understand that. It's so probably miscategorized. Toro and Whirlpool, there. and that's if a card and track. Well, they have a appliance. few things here. Okay, let me get on with it. This is Val Hughes, which means values. I don't know. I keep saying Val Hughes, but it, it's just a it's just a phony name. Let's face it. Uh, okay, Black and Decker, BDK, page one fourteen. If you're following around, 
along. Uh, the theme on this one is simply, I'm going to simple it up, brands win, okay? Black & Decker has a, uh, a, a well-known brand, certainly in the U.S., and I think they have an opportunity to take that internationally. Um, Black & Decker, of course, is the home tools, but in the last few years, their biggest success is probably uh, taking two products that used to be the DeWalt line and turning it into a full line of high-end tools for, uh, you know, low-end professionals. I don't think they're in the top professional market, and actually, Vern, I think you know a little about that. But um, they, you know, those are good names. Uh, Dustbuster, you've heard of toaster well, oven, and they've, and they've expanded that product line well DeWalt. beyond what their own original tool business ever was. Right. They, they're in. They have sm things like small air compressors now. Well, it's been among the most successful things Black and Decker's ever generators done. Generators with the Dewalt name. They also have QuickSet. Giant like industrial radio CD player. That's very cool. Well, anyway, that, go ahead. yeah, uh, fi uh, what's this, Fister, you know, the plumbing supply guy. Uh, what I'm attracted to here, you know, is high returns on capital. That's always my first go-to. And if you look back over time, uh, this thing goes back to 1997. You know, they do in the 20s pretty regularly. In recessions, they don't lose money, and that's pretty important in a recession. Uh, these guys do get down to a 10% return on capital. That's as bad as it gets for these guys. And then, you know, they're marching their way back up into the 20s. With a little bit of leverage, their return on equity is, you know, 10s in the, in the 30s and, and, and lo, you know, low 40s in recent years. That's just simply outstanding work. Uh, if you look at their share count, they also continually generate enough free cash flow to buy back stocks. So they went from, if I'm reading this, our light's not so good here and my eyes aren't so good, but I think they had 82 million shares in 2004. And uh, Value Line is forecasting uh, 64 million shares. So if I can do some quick math on that, even though I've been drinking here, uh, you know, that's more than a 20% buyback in three years. Uh, companies generating 10.50 a share in cash flow per share. That's gross. And the stock's at 87. That's eight times gross cash flow. Well, you've got to look at capital spending. How much of that are they burning up in CapEx to keep these brands alive? That's a beautiful thing about brands. You keep them alive by spending advertising, which is expensed. Uh, you know, a lot of the manufacturing here is outsourced now, I'm quite sure. So looking at free cash flow, you're at about 860. And the stock's about 10 times free cash flow. That's a 10% cash-on-cash return the way I might look at it. And uh, you got bonds yielding five. Plus you're going to get some growth here because of wealth around the world and, uh, you know, their expansion uh, into that growing world. I, so I think personally, I think management there is underappreciated because. Well, um, look at this record; they'd have to be. Well, they have basically the same portfolio of businesses that they had five and maybe even <coughs> as as long as ten years ago. So they've been generating huge returns, a lot of cash, and they've resisted the temptation to do what a lot of consumer-oriented businesses have done historically, which is believe that oh, simply because we're in this channel. We can add value by having more things in the same channel. Well, for example. And they dilute the power of the, the, this Black & Decker DeWalt franchise is a juggernaut, and they absolutely should not dilute that with other hanger-on businesses. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you something that so they've done that, the that impressed me about what well. they do. 
you know, consumers think of Black & Decker as the appliances, which actually is the old General Electric line. The right. people that invented electricity came out with appliances so you'd have a reason to buy electricity, so you'd have something that runs on electricity. This is in the 20s. Uh, GE figured out that wasn't a good business. I think one of the first things Jack Welch did was dump that business because it became a commodity. Um, so Black & Decker, you know, bought that. It turned out to be a commodity. What they did, though, was very smart. In a business that no one ever makes any money now, uh, they simply license their name, and they'll take a 5% royalty. That's 5% on sales. That's more money than anyone in that business makes on sales themselves. And so they get it off the top, and they're making 5% by uh, licensing the name in that whole appliance area. So when you go and you see a Black & Decker coffee maker, that whole line that goes in your kitchen, that's not them. Who is that, Tektronics? Well, they licensed that to a whole uh, host of people. Oh, uh, is that right? The one that makes the coffee maker, I know, uh, is a company oh, called some are uh, different, like Applica, which got bought out. Applica, uh, yeah. Well, I, I've heard ma management call themselves mm. Applica. Well, they ought to know, should Yeah, they? well, they're not, you know, who knows? I don't is it, know. Is it a good management team? They yes, sold they, the company, and they, they uh, unfortunately on that one, I sold the I stock. Did. I bought the stock, really, because I thought it was going to get bought out, and then... Uh, it, it cratered on bad results, and the buyout was gone. Uh, I don't hang around on rumor. I sold it, and then the rumor came true, and the stock got bought out. But, you know, that's going to happen. Anyway, Black & Decker, it's at a 25% discount to the average P.E. in the uh, Value Line universe. It's eight times gross cash flow, ten times oh, free cash flow. crushed on being housing. They have 42% debt to cap, which isn't so great. However, their margins are so high, and the return's so good, that uh, they're covered 28 times. I mean, the way to think about that is even though they're 42% uh, on capital, uh, they're paying 5% uh, for debt, and they're earning 30% on their equity capital. That doesn't make sense. So, uh, you know, they yeah, must have a contingent no, they just are earning such something. a high return on capital uh, that the cost – so, in other words, their return on capital is 20%. They pay 5% for uh, – Debt. All that debt. So that's 16 percent is it. the coverage, right? Exactly. Check. Uh, growth rates here, 10 percent. Uh, so you're earning 10 percent cash on cash, 10 percent yield. Black and Decker, page 114. I'm getting bored talking about this myself. Thank you. Okay. Um, Toro. I may have talked about this before. Ticker TTC. I own this one. By the way, I do not own Black and Decker. I own Toro, and I've owned it for a little while. The stock's been on a nice run here from the summer. Um, but uh, I still own it, and that means I still think it's got an attractive return. This is another company that on the stats looks very similar to Black & Decker. It's just a very well-run brand, high returns on capital, high returns on equity, uh, free cash flow that buys down s shares. And the stock has performed well recently. Yeah. And we're heading into the period of maximum risk in terms of perception of the, the sh near-term shape of the housing cycle in, in the U.S.? I think is that a question be, or a comment? Or what? Uh, it's a comment uh, posed as a question. Aren't ah. you worried about your risk profile here? In housing? In the stock. No, I really, I'm really – well, it's not up a lot relative. It's up uh, – it's kind of turned. They had a nice period between 01 and 04, and they've really been kind of sideways since that time. I mean, this housing thing – let me point something out, ladies and gentlemen, if you're concerned about this. Since 1980 – 96% of the time GDP grows, 4% it goes down. 
but about 50% of the time people worry about it. So if you're a game player and you're dealing in probabilities and, you know, you appreciate that no one actually knows what's happening out there or anyone other than the people at UBS, evidently, uh, then, uh, you know, well, you, you got to play the... Yeah, I don't want to say. Okay. You got to play the probabilities, and uh, generally economies grow. These guys have a huge maintenance business. Uh, so you think of Toro, the lawnmower, you buy a new house and you get a lawnmower. That's, you know, I think 30% of their business. Um, half of it is uh, golf course maintenance and giant industrial equipment that maintains big swaths of lawn on institutional America out there. Swaths? Is that a word? I'm trying to... <laughs> I don't know. Let I'm me, picturing rolling fields of let's green. Let's see. Let me read here. I a probably swath. should read this before I just go on. They also... I think there's I'll a... I'll often stop the car and take a picture. You know, one of the things that's happened here, too, is these guys are earning, you know, high returns and 12% margins in a business that should be more commodity... They've managed to buy up some of the brands, and I think that gives them a little bit of pricing power out there. They own, in addition to Toro, they own uh, Lawn Boy. Oh, that's and, uh, business, right? They own, I think there's another brand I'm not thinking of here, Wheel Horse I've never heard of. Oh, my, we had have a you? Wheel Horse. That's a, a Wheel uh, Horse Lawnmower? Yeah, that's a, uh, it's a great I've never brand. heard of I think that. they sell those uh, through... Uh, like general hardware channels and farm and fleet kind of stores. Oh, really? Well, that's Toro, baby, is that one. But, you know, well, they... Toro has their own... They have Toro dealers, right? Yeah, they have Toro dealers, yeah, I'm but... I'm talking about something that kind of masquerades as the durable in-house brand. Well, the Lawn Boy, they don't sell in their own dealers. That's the brand for, you know, That's for America. Merchants. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's different than what I'm And Wheel Horse is the farm supply channel right. and all that. I got you. They got it all covered. That's how they're earning such that's high returns, right? It's one R and D facility. Lot you maintain these three brands with one. We have a wheel horse riding. Okay, they're in Bloomington, Minnesota. Uh, what Value Line says here is that uh, you know they're beating estimates right now. Their gross margin is improving. International sales are strong. Uh oh, offset by a lackluster snow thrower sales, but who knows? That may have changed. Did you see photos out of Buffalo last week? I mean, I, I've talked to invest. Long-term investors in stocks like Toro in the past, and they've suggested to me that if the snowthrower business is small enough, you just try to take it out of the numbers. And of course, it. yeah, just take it as gravy when it comes. Right. You go with the annuity here. So the annuity here is golf courses around the world. Wealth brings more golf. Uh, think of all the golf courses. I mean, this is a cliche now, but China. I think in the journal a couple of days ago, they had some woman who could have had some great job somewhere, but instead she's going to be a uh, wine connoisseur. The Chinese are getting into everything with wealth, and, uh, you know, golf golf is one of those things. So everyone I talk to that sells anything that's of quality to the Chinese is still seeing good business, despite the fact that their market in Shanghai was down a little bit the other day, which I think was a little bit of a blip. Don't worry about it. People. Anyway, Toro, TTC, I'm a buyer, page 116. Finally, uh, there's one last one I want to talk about. I've talked about this before. Um, Owens and Miner, ticker OMI. Uh, Vern's giving me the uh, stretch it out signal as he goes to pour himself some more vodka over here. Uh, OMI, this is page 227. OMI is a, a medical products distributor, and uh, uh, they, uh, they do a pretty good job of that. They have 150,000 brand names 
coming out of 41 warehouses. They supply acute care hospitals, hospital-based systems nationwide, 4,000 customers. Uh, you've heard us talk about demographics before and the reliability of that. Obviously, an aging population is going to need additional products in health care. Uh, you're not making a bet here on a product cycle or a particular drug. They supply everything to everybody. They're earning a you know low teens return on capital. They have very little debt, but a little bit. They're earning 14% returns on equity. And I think that's you know low enough to keep competitors out. It's high enough for us to get a decent return. It is at a little bit of a premium uh, in terms of a 7% PE premium. But on a cash flow basis, the stock is at 34. Cash flow per share, 340. That's 10 times gross. I'm going to take 65 cents out from CapEx. That gives me 280. So this thing is about 12 times free cash flow. The way I look at that, 8% yield, better than the Treasury at 5 or 4.5, wherever the hell it is. And you're going to get earnings growth here of 9. I think that could be a little low. Um, so you're looking at a return here that's up near 17, 18%, and that's all you need, ladies and gentlemen, to double your money every six years, and that'll work for you. So OMI, page 227. Now I want to do a couple quick drive-bys, one drive-by anyway. Kinetic Concepts, KCI, 217. I ran across this for the show. I ended up buying it in my fund. Uh, the stock, we bought it around 37. It got crushed to 24 Go back and listen. We're all indexed by ticker now if you just pull our uh, RSS code into your uh, Internet browser. Well, let me summarize. Yeah, Sorry, but anyway. Buy KCI. No, it's not. It's A big move is over. I hope you bought it. I uh, We got a lot of letters mm. on this. And I'm starting. I want to pull back a little bit. I want to take a little off the table. There's still a buyout here possible. There's rumors. But basically the bad news and all that is over. The good news is here. And we're continuing to hear from distributors that the product is doing extremely well. They're able to tout their advantages now versus the competitor that they were suing. And um, I think you may still have, you know, 20 points of upside here. But if you've made a bunch of money because you bought it at 24, uh, I would pull a little bit off the table, KCI. And that's all I have, Vern. Uh, that's all for values. Let's have a beverage break. Beverage break. Toast. And... Uh, with, uh, with I'm sorry, I have a pretzel in my mouth. Yeah, well, let me then introduce you. So with very little fanfare indeed, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to give a big hello to uh, Warren Buffett. But he's not with us, so <laughs> I'm going to, to introduce Vern Value, ladies and gentlemen. There's, here's Vern. Thanks. Appreciate yeah. it. Everybody, My pleasure. cool down a little bit. No. You know, keep it the down. The phones are lighting up. We're recording this. We need to, he, they need to be able to hear me. All right. uh, I'm going to stick with the medical theme. Please, please and do. And talk about Zimmer, symbol ZMH. You know, I didn't check the page number. It's the last stock in this week's value line, page 240. Zimmer holding. Anyway, I with so many medical supplies companies, I started with the ones, just in case I happen to agree with value line. And Zimmer's got some upward momentum, so I'm not surprised it has a one on it. They raised it at the end of the year with the stock having gone from about 60 to 80. And um, $87 roughly recently. And I'm a little puzzled here. Because yes, sir. What are you your, puzzled where's about? Where's your Owens and Miner? Can I say right that here, again? Yeah. Your Owens and Miner says that uh, that stock at 22.1 times earnings is a 7% premium. Zimmer at 22.8. 
is apparently a 20% Well, maybe premium. they're going by what? Something other than what seems I'm obvious? I'm not sure, but maybe they were in different dates or something. But uh, anyway, if you look at the relative chart, you can see that the stock really bottomed out in uh, early summer of 2006, and it's been on a nice upward trend then. So I'll admit a little bit to, uh, you know, following momentum here. Maybe they're going off the trailing number in that T in parentheses there. Oh, that, that could be. This says trailing 25 2. And this says 23. Oh, 22. Maybe the relative was so on the more trailing. Different. Yeah. But still. Oh, well, <laughs> in any event, I'm looking at a uh, $20 billion designer and marketer of orthopedic products, including reconstructive implants, 82% of sales. And they have fracture management devices, 11%. Think about a brace uh, to support your leg if it's been broken. and uh, Hips and knees, man. That's what they do. Well, that's what the 82% is, reconstructive implants. That's and where the, the money is, buddy. the thing about this space is not only have we uh, gotten better about uh, being able to, well, restore uh, function for people who have degenerative conditions and do it reliably so that the numbers are better, more people are therefore motivated to undertake the what uh, can be a very difficult and arduous rehabilitation process. Um, it's still expensive, of course, uh, but what's happening is that beyond the fact that you have simply broader acceptance and application within society, we also have an aging society. So this is a this is a demographic play on aging boomers. And we're also talking about a relatively nascent technology that had its earliest application in big numbers starting within the last decade or so, perhaps 15 years to be fair, and that is not in most cases, especially when we talk about the technology that was used in those early days, something that can be a permanent solution. Guess what, folks? Replacement demand for hips and knees, etc. So... Well, that's uh, all the, true. The fact that's that all can, true. Okay. But I would I would add this. All right, go ahead. There's four companies. Yeah. They kind of do the same thing. Yeah. The technology here moves very slowly because it requires doctors who do surgical procedures to learn new things when they're older, and they don't tend to. So things have moved here very well, slowly. The uh, the uh, FD it's FDA right? The FDA standards for something that is placed permanently within the body are far more difficult and arduous to pass than pharmaceutical standards, for example. So, anyway, go well, please proceed. Well, it's harder to get a sample size that's statistically significant when you have well, to do and, invasive and surgery versus getting a bunch of people to take a pill. The material, yeah. Well, anyway, wanna, anyway, go ahead. What I wanted to say yeah. was the, the fly in the ointment here, because your story, your positive story, the mm -hmm. demographics, I'm eating a pretzel, by the way. Yeah, I apologize. it has been around for a long time. Well, it it's not, keep the yeah, but no, down. I think it's still a good story. Yeah. Uh, but it's a unit growth story. Right. And here's what's happening that could be a little negative. See, I, here's why I'm going to throw a little water on this. I mm -hmm. own the stock at 27 when it went public here. And, yeah. Uh, it was a spin out from. Uh, uh, Bristol Myers Squibb. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and so there was a lot of. Excess costs and stuff they took out. Their gross margins are right now a little bit above other people. They're, I think uh, the IBM of the business, where it, one of the things that makes them so good in a, in a business that's a little bit commodity, is their marketing. And so they've come up with this uh, small incision that they call the, uh, they have a name for it. Uh, the zipper. 
Oh, the zipper. <laughs> no, it's just I'm they sorry, were out. They, they built a big school somewhere in Indiana, and they started trying to train doctors to do this surgery that got people well, the back to work quick, Warsaw, more Indiana. quickly. And so they donated a bunch of money, and they've really stepped up sort of the belief that they have the best approach. Um, now, other you know firms could do it, but it's really a technique, and they're teaching it. And they went to all the insurance companies and all the hospitals, and they said, look, if you use a Zimmer approach, your people will be back to work quicker. Your insurance bills will be lower. It's kind of the original story on KCI. Yeah. Their wound gets people back to work quicker, so there's money in it for the insurance companies, and then they all get behind it. And Zimmer kind of got right. that this going. You're right. This is terrible. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, well, more. here's the terrible <laughs> part. <laughs> okay. That's all good. No, these guys are tremendous. Their returns are high. Uh, not as high as you'd think, but... Uh, and they've been moving higher. Yeah. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. They're but gross, just over the horizon, it's the same. Folks. It's actually the same problem that Pfizer I'm, has I'm a little kidding. bit. Go ahead. Their gross margin is 85%. Yeah. That means that if the stuff costs them a buck... Operating margins here are 40, folks. Yeah. Okay, so they're so, paying 40% SG&A well, and R&D combined. Hold on. But That's not my ahead. point, though. No, no I'm 80, just helping people with context. It's a big number. Okay, right. and what makes it so big? What a gross margin is how much you make over your what you charge. Mm -hmm. So if they charged a buck, they'd be making eighty-five cents. That means the cost would be fifteen cents, right. and they're charging a buck. That means they're marking it up sixfold, and then they're taking a big chunk of that money and paying salesmen. Okay, and when Medicaid and Medicare using tax dollars kind of gets involved and says, "Gee, we want to help America walk," but Hold on a minute. We're paying six times the cost of the metal, and we're putting it into a sales force that drives nice cars and drives by doctor's offices and says, hey, buddy, let's golf, and, oh, here's a brochure. I mean, so the Medicaid, Medicare people are getting involved, and the negative to this, it's not to the units, uh, to be positive for the units, it's just that uh, there could be some pressure on these prices because it's hard to justify on the basis of the cost of the product or even the R&D. So it, that's the fly. So far it hasn't broken the story, and, and you know these companies are able to argue that they need the money for R&D and to attract people and blah, 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 and it's working. But when the baby boom, who all vote, start you know getting more involved in this and it gets expensive, what we're finding is that uh, we're not socialistic, but when we go to the polls and everybody votes to have free medicine is that socialism or is that democracy making medicine free I you know that that's out there somewhere and the thing that keeps Zimmer from that right now is that every right, time so what do you what do you think pricing did in 2006 it doesn't it was, say here I have uh, no idea we're right now in, a, in it we're, we're what we do is we go through a period where Medicare drops price by a little bit it happened about four years ago three years ago yeah. down three four percent and you're good with that, and then nothing happens for three or four years, and then Medicare brings you up again, and then everyone else keys off of that. So and so uh, it might go down three or four. Well, percent. you're yeah, you probably hasn't. But, but could. units right now are ahead of price pressure, so you're okay. Well, yeah, but the I'm, hammer is not out. The hammer hasn't come in because value lines for I mean the, the 2005 over 2004 looks like it's about eight percent. The year before is a huge number. I mean. I think what like happens to Zimmer, I wonder if there's an acquisition because of the Salesforce thing. Yeah, someone like J and J or Medtronic, mm -hmm. who doesn't have an orthopedic business, yeah, buys them, 
it looks like a premium, right? Yeah. But how much of a premium is it if you fire half the sales force? All of a sudden, the sales force that's getting 40% of the dollars uh, is getting 20% of the dollars. You can cut price a lot, maintain margin by firing the sales force. So you have a cushion. I think they're a buyout. I also like Wright Medical, who is a teeny competitor to Zimmer, easier piece of, you know, uh, easier buyout to, to swallow. Well, and and I think it's an interesting uh, issue you raise. $20 billion market cap. There's no net debt here. It's a fabulous uh, company. It's about, um, on an equity basis, it's about 20 times free cash flow. But, again, I reiterate, there's no debt here. It's a, it's uh, a wonderful Free company. cash flow is in line with earnings per share. So um, it's about 20 times free cash flow with these big I returns. own this. I owned it at this price. I just – That volume the, – I would buy it. The risk is, is so the uh, price. Yeah. Pricing is the risk. Right. Okay. Well, that was Zimmer. I, you know, the other one I want to talk about – now I'm going to go to the – front end of the value line, uh, and I'm going to talk about three uh, three stocks in the auto and truck industry. This is a space we've revisited before, and we're going to talk about one name there again. But first I want to tell you about my long short pair. Uh, Volvo is one Pretty of the sexy, three bro. stocks they have with a star by them. The other two are General Motors and Federal Signal. I would characterize both as value traps, but General Motors, I, at least there's some hope. Volvo, though, is an interesting company, right? Sweden's largest company, second in the world in heavy truck and bus sales. I like their cars. 50% of their business in Europe. They sold non-core holdings starting in 95, including the car business, to Ford in 99. Oh. So the business today. So they don't make the cars, obviously. You don't see this in Value Line all the time. They've got a little table down here at the bottom. By segment? Yes, they make trucks now, right? Segment, and they have 2007, 2008. They have the forecast for where they're going. Isn't that cool? The little model, right? Wow. 2007, 2008. These are the revenue numbers that match up with here. What innovation. You know, you That's, uh, that I've never seen that in my stuff. life. In any event, you'll, a table. if you take wow. a look there, you'll see that most of the business is the truck business. The, uh, there's a, uh, an engine and aerospace business. And a big construction equipment business, which is the second largest business, and I would argue maybe the only other one that's material besides the truck business. Okay, so what's the, this stock? Seventy-nine. Actually, it's an ADR, VOLV on Nasdaq. Value line rates at two. Okay, that's why we're talking about it. Stocks around seventy-nine bucks, uh, sixteen PE, fifteen percent discount to the market. Couple points of yield. Stock is at an all-time high. Uh, at almost eighty dollars last year, seventy. The year before, forty-eight. Gaining share in an increasingly wealthy world. How about uh, that as a theme? They are, in a sense, uh, they are the world's second largest truck builder after Daimler that owns the Mercedes uh, truck business. Cash flow multiple looks reasonable, um, but we have an, an issue here, of course, and that's that the North American market, where they own Mack Truck, you might have heard of it, and they actually own General Mack Motors. Truck. Yeah, they also own General Motors' old uh, heavy truck business under the Volvo name. But so they, they don't make the Volvo cars anymore. No. Ford makes those. Big what trucks. kind of world is this? It's upside down. If Pepsi starts making Coke, that's thing I'm going to I'm going to draw the line <laughs> right at that point. Uh, no one knows what's going to happen in the North American heavy truck market this year where we just had a new uh, engine standard, a diesel engine. Uh, new mandate from the EPA on uh, emissions is a big issue. Unfortunately, the value line 
um, has, I, I guess, one of their newer people on this story, um, suggests that truck fleets were spending a lot of money in 06 to get up to standard. What they were doing is they were buying more than they need. They were adding excess capacity right? so they could avoid paying the higher prices for a bit unproven technology. And unproven means in the in the truck business means what it might affect it might have on fuel efficiency. Um, so truckers were buying trucks way ahead. There's going to be no demand this year. The bottom's falling out of production in North America. And we're supposed to believe that, you know, anybody's forecast really here can be relied on a big way. The big risk in terms of what can they happen there. I mentioned construction equipment. They've been growing that business in North America. Matter of fact, uh, Value Line, of course, not can't, couldn't be current with this. This week they right. announced they were buying a road building equipment business at about a 50%, uh, a 1.5 uh, revenue multiple. So they're buying a business that, you know, it's got to be well up in the cycle at a 50% premium to one-time sales. Um, so there's a big exposure, a meaningful exposure to housing in this country. Um, a lot of risk I'm to be sorry, buying I'm sorry, how are they stock, exposed to housing? Uh, through the construction equipment business. Ah, uh, construction equipment. Which they just invested a lot of money in. Um, mm. Value line is basically uh, accepting that they'll manage through this with no problem. The market's been buying the stocks on the certainty that 2008 will be better and 2009 better yet before the next one of these emission standards takes effect. If that's the case... Are the Democrats going to help that, them in some way? Isn't with some maybe factored into the stock you know, now? Tax reduction or something? High? Um I don't know. If I, they're gaining I, share, I mean, all right. so, uh, clearly companies I don't, get more valuable, make like new highs all the time. Value line has it rated two. It looks more like a short to me. What, what should I put oh, with Volvo's it? Oh, Volvo's a short. Yeah. Well, I could put Packard with it, sort of the, the North American uh, premium truck player. Value line rates it lower, a three. This symbol is PCAR on NASDAQ. Instead of Volvo's uh, 30-some billion in revenue, this company has 14, 15, about half the size. Uh, primarily a North American truck builder, trading at 15.5 times earnings instead of 16, a little wider discount to the market, closer to 20% than 15, Earn a, provides a 3% yield instead of 2, also at an all-time high at $74. All, uh, mm. Not much debt, just like Volvo. This is an $18 billion market cap company, leading manufacturer of medium and heavy-duty diesel trucks, Kenworth, Peterbilt, Foden, and DAP. And the story at PACAR has been uh, constant, overtime, regular, every year, taking market share. They make the best trucks. In North America, and they entered the European market, and they're replicating it there. And they do it. I, their margins are unbelievable. They I spent earn, a summer in, in a, a commodity uh, one business, of those trucks. They earn mid- to high-teens operating margins. And they've gotten return on capital. Is they the always 20s. were the best. It's unbelievable. Un they are truly, truly. Let me ask tough. you something, Vern, because you're a student of yeah. of finance, manufactured business, as as I am. Yes, sir. Yeah. And uh, how do you think they do it? How do they have those returns in a worldwide market of trucks, which is a commodity? In a truck's a truck. How do they do that? Is it an accounting trick? More aggressive no, write-offs no, versus not, other it's people. It's none of those things. You know what it is? No, I do not. It's, I do not know. It's it's as plain as the nose on your face. I cannot see my own nose. Well, let me explain it to you. Um, the number of companies with outstanding management teams and systems 
cultures of excellence that accept nothing except con continual improvement and dedication to outperforming the competitor in, on every dimension, guess what? Those companies are actually outnumbered by the ones that aren't very good. So you think it's a cultural thing? I think that PacArt is among those few companies in in variety of different industry sectors that are truly outstanding companies, and they the competitors can only hope to replicate their financial. But the success. economists say that in a uh, commodity you, business, that yeah. price and return should start to equalize well, over time as people copy Packard's each other. Packard's answer is that it's technology. Ah, that's what I'm trying to get. What and technology? Technology in the truck. Uh, technology and support of the capital asset that determines the profitability of the customer. Do they spend more on R&D than other truckers? Yes, they do. There we go. So there's their uh, answer. But is that, um, can I ask another question? I, I'm not real keen about owning this stock because oh. uh, they have the same problem that Volvo has, only in spades. They're more exposed to North America. So this bottom dropping out of the market that's happening right now with the stock at an all-time high, it's going to hit them a little relatively harder. Of course, their profitability and return characteristics are a lot better for about the same price. Who, uh, may I ask a question? I yeah. know nothing about this area. I'm just being a curious uh, investor now. Yeah. Who have? What are the uh, differences in uh, dealer structure? Does one own their own dealers? One doesn't. Uh, one Packard owns land. Owns one doesn't. Some of their own, but not all of their own. Are Volvo. they exclusive though? A Packard dealer is is yes. only Packard. Right. And Volvo, is that the same for them? Uh, well, and there's Mac dealers, actually. They have two channels. So uh, maybe share, maybe that's more expensive to maintain, a dual uh, channel in a market oh, that's expensive and, to maintain and a visibility. And the business and these other hanger-on businesses that Volvo has are lower return businesses than the truck and bus business as well. They dilute the return profile. Hmm. I'm, when I'm, my point is that when I look at these, and they're roughly equivalently priced, and PACAR may appear on the surface to have more downside risk to earnings short term. Uh, they're going to see a bigger rebound in 08, by the way, which is what the market is purportedly you know, pricing in PACAR at this will. point. Right. Mm -hmm. But what's going to kill Volvo and why they're the short and PACAR's the long in my pair is they have a construction equipment business that nobody's paying any attention to, and it's about to get walloped, and there is no way that their numbers are going to hold up as well as PACAR's are. I mean, right now, the value line's forecasting a lower relative earnings decline at Volvo. My call, nonsense. Packer will do better. All right. So there's wow. no short. And uh, my, my last name. That's an exclusive name, on the Value Guys Network, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And now I'm coming back to a name that we've talked about before. We still like uh, Oshkosh Truck, symbol I OSK. Own that. I own value that Value line stock. rates at three, which is a, a, lo a higher rating than they had in March, apparently. Uh, raised to three, yeah, raised. They just raised it to a three from a four. So I don't know when they went to a four, but this is 16 and a half times earnings. Okay, so specialty truck manufacturer, specialty commercial fire and emergency and military trucks under a variety of different brand names. And, and these are killer brand names in their markets, by the way. They have huge market shares, and they're gaining share regularly, just like Packard, right? They're sort of the Packard of the specialty truck world. They have huge returns on capital. They have yeah. improving operating margins. Well, Very they impressive. just paid up a lot for something. They Those returns on capital are going to be going down. They just paid a and ton of money. And that's what makes me unhappy. For a business called JLG Industries that's the global leader 
something called an aerial work platform, which is becoming has be, been growing um, in market acceptance for oh lord, probably thirty years. What did they and pay will for that? Continue sir? to may I ask you? Do you as know what they paid? Workers increasingly are operate at height in a powered device. He's not answering me. I'm ignoring you. I just completely ignoring you. Okay. What types of uh, enterprise value to EBITDA on the on the on the price? Like nine yeah. times. So that's eleven percent return, right? Yeah. And what's their return? Uh, their return nineteen percent. And that's an after tax, and I'm talking pre tax. Ouch! But when we talked about this privately. Yeah. Uh, you suggested that you thought that their, uh, you know, exposure to a wider channel and some cost cuts might that might be misleading. That well, maybe they the can make a decent return out of this. That they gain some access to Caterpillar's global distribution right. network, and there's yeah. probably some opportunity there. There's also they did they did the day the deal to uh, pursue scale is what I'm told, and um, I, it seems to make some sense because it takes them from a. Three billion revenue company, the six seven range. You're gonna you're gonna save a lot of money in a lot of different dimensions, um, and they have some franchise businesses that um, I think some people would like to take away from them, especially their defense truck business. And that's sort of the story here. Value Line's looking for four dollars and thirty cents of earnings in 2008. This company, I, I you know, we've done some work on here and in, in, uh, on this. Uh, Name and we well we own it too and we think that uh, they could earn five dollars in two thousand eight. What the are they saying? Recently yeah. at fifty six, um, it's eleven times free cash flow using value lines numbers, and then the the argument of course uh, the the need for scale if you will is to help them defend this uh, defense truck business which has turned out to be hugely lucrative because of uh, because of the conflict in the Middle East, and there are several. Uh, I mean, the, the, you know, huge deficiencies, of course, have been demonstrated in the uh, the equipment that we've sent our warriors into the field in, including the trucks that they drive around in. So everything needs to be armored now. A lot of product that Oshkosh Truck has never made um, has proven to be the most deadly, especially the Humvee, which you know, you know, not very well suited to defend itself against IEDs and mines. Well, and there's like also that. what I liked about it, and you, you know, I don't yeah. know it as well, but they have this base, uh, this base business supplying uh, fire trucks around uh, the nation, and that gives you this nice sort of base, uh, you know, economics. Oh. And then you've got this, you know, the, the, this military thing, which isn't going to end with the war. There's going to be a whole rearming well, had, and it, it, homeland defense. People, they make the types of trucks that well, fire departments are going to want all be through a America. Big deal for quite a while. Yeah, now exactly. Because they, uh, they just uh, won some business on this new uh, mine-resistant vehicle that the Marine Corps is buying. So they're competing for their first armored vehicle business, and they're going to build some product for that. And they're one of the they're one of the companies, and I don't, I'm not sure how many there were, maybe a half a dozen that were uh, selected to bid on the uh, joint light tactical vehicle program, which is the replacement for the Humvee, and ultimately that turns into tens of thousands of vehicles. I don't yeah. know that Oshkosh. Well, the Jeep of the future, right? Right. And, and the point is that they're they're a significant player. And if they're going to be a major player in that kind of league, they, they have to be a bigger company. And I think that's why they bought this other business, which has some reasonable characteristics, although it's... Well, you see um, those things everywhere. I know to, that. Uh, 
highly leveraged to construct. Maybe they can sell billboard space on uh, the side of those giant arms that you see all over leveraged, Christmas time. Highly uh, leveraged, debt to cap, 73%, uh, debt is 73% of capital, north of $3 billion. On the other hand, value line forecasting, you know, 05 to 10 or whatever their, you know, amorphous future, mystical future. But, I mean, like 18 20% growth rates for revenue and earnings. Um it, we That's think the numbers good. that they're using to value and honor low, ultimately, and uh, we like it, OSK. I had Packard Long in a pair with Volvo Short, and only under those circumstances. And uh, Zimmer, CMH. And uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, bearing, bearing with us here. My favorite uh, this week is going to be Black & Decker. Um, I think it's a cheap global brand. They're doing everything right. Returns are great. Cash flow multiples low. That looks like a, a winner, Black & Decker. So that's all I have, Vern. Arrivederci. Thanks for listening in, everybody. Bye-bye.